Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 601 by my watch. Welcome in. It's time for the one and only Big Six finishing off the first week of 2019 here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jason Martin, your host as always. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. If you want to join us, I got a lot to get to tonight, but I can work you in maybe. 615-737-1045-737-1045. Main man Ryan A. Mudd behind the glass. Been in the Dials radio style. You have to get through him. If you want to get to me, I say, I don't want to waste your time. That's always the mission statement of this show. And I got a lot of things that I want to get to. So let's talk about it tonight. The national title games coming up on Monday night in Santa Clara between Clemson and Alabama. It's the matchup. I think most of us expected before the season began and it's a heavyweight fight. It's the two best coaches in the country. It's the two quarterbacks you want to watch. It's guys that are just nasty up front on the offensive and defensive line, receiving talent, outrageous talent on both sides of the field. It's the matchup that you want. But the tickets aren't selling. At least the school's got their allotment taken care of, but then the extra tickets on the secondary market are, you can get in that place for about 115 bucks at Levi's Stadium right now. So people are saying, what's wrong? Is college football on the decline? Is college football dead? No, folks, it's not. But let me lay out why I believe this to be the case in terms of these tickets not being what they once were. Last year, it was 1800 bucks to get into Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. 115 right now to get in to see one versus two. The reasoning to me, it's actually kind of simple. There are a few factors. One, maybe the biggest one, has to do with the location of this game being in Santa Clara. Make no mistake about this. California is a pro sports state. Now, it all starts in Los Angeles. That is dominated, dominated by the L.A. Lakers and then the L.A. Dodgers in that order. I worked, when I worked with Fox Sports Radio, and I guess I still do from time to time, all those guys, my associate producers out there, when I was the EP at OutKick, those guys were all out there in Sherman Oaks. They grew up in L.A. They knew it. They cared about the Lakers. They cared about the Dodgers. Whenever we talked about college football, they tuned out. When we asked them who would win various bowl games, even the New Year's Six games, even the college football playoff games, they would just ask us not to even come to them because they didn't have answers. That's how little they cared about college football, especially when USC is completely irrelevant. But the Rams... They're starting to make some inroads because they're winning, but you can look at the Chargers. Nobody cares about them at all, even though they might be the most balanced team in the AFC entering wild card Saturday and Sunday. I'll predict those games coming up. But outside of USC, which was barely, if at all, relevant this year, plus you had UCLA stinking in his first year with Chip Kelly, there was zero fervor for college sports. 
and there usually isn't anyway. Outside of L.A., I was talking about the entire state. What's the first thing you think about? Do you think about Cal Berkeley? Do you think about Stanford? No. You think of the Golden State Warriors. You think of the San Francisco Giants. And then you probably think of the San Francisco 49ers. And you probably start to think about the Raiders. College sports without a competitive USC in football is basically the equivalent of the NHL in California. They just do not care. Last week, a week ago actually today, I was filling in on 3HL with Mickey Ryan and Mark Mariani. And I mentioned why I thought Nissan Stadium would be incredible for that Colts finale game. I thought it was easy to predict. I said it would be loud enough that NBC would talk about it on their broadcast early in the night. And that's exactly what happened. I was in the press box and I started getting people tweeting me saying, hey, Chris Collinsworth, Al Michaels, Michelle Tafoya, they're all talking about how loud it is in Nissan Stadium. It's exactly how it went down. Because for the first time in over a decade, that building had a legitimate FOMO moment. Now, listen, it was a bright man in a bad haircut who once said, I'm a man, I'm 40. Those two things also apply to me. So maybe I shouldn't even know what FOMO is, much less actually let it emanate from my mouth. But somehow I've stumbled upon it. And it has actually changed how I view event attendance. FOMO, fear of missing out. FOMO is what drives you in the absence of passion for one of the teams involved or maybe of the instrument itself to shell out legitimate money, exorbitant money in many cases, to attend a live event. You have to factor in insanity when you're parking, and that means both in the money that you have to spend to park and the time you'll have to spend getting to and from wherever it is that you are. You have to factor in concession money, maybe a souvenir. If you're taking a family of four, that is not a cheap endeavor at all. And that's without the ticket price. Unpredictable weather in some cases. Uncomfortable seats in many respects, certainly compared to your own recliner or your couch. And then there's the time investment past the event itself. And if you look further, TV coverage in 2019 is exquisite stuff. You may not love the announced crews, but the picture and the sound quality on all of our ultra high def 4K curved screens with our surround sounds or our sound bars, all of it's unreal. One of the single most incredible television experiences, viewing experiences you can have anywhere is to watch the Masters on a truly high definition screen. Augusta on a perfect TV is basically untouchable from a visual standpoint. So you've got to sell me on a FOMO moment as a consumer. Now me, I am blessed beyond measure to be able to attend a lot of these things as a member of the media. And that's not something I take for granted. And it's not something that applies to most people. So again, FOMO, that's how you get people to spend money. Now, when the experiment on TV is this strong, fear of missing out is really all that's left. Why is Netflix on fire? And very few box office movies really attracting the big audiences anymore. There are people listening right now who haven't gone to a movie theater in over a year. It's the same deal. Our TVs have caught up to the technology of the big screens. Our TVs are great. Our TVs are incredibly convenient to us. And that's why if you go to the Big Six blog and you read my many movie reviews at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog, I will specify in many cases something like, this film demands to be seen on the biggest and loudest screen you can find. Go see it in IMAX. 
Because some movies, folks, some movies can be experiences and others are just things that you watch. So going to IMAX to see The Dark Knight, that's FOMO for me. I had to see it that way. And in my case, I had to do it multiple times, but that's because I'm crazy. There will be 10 different ways. That's sort of an estimate, but there'll be around 10 different ways that you can watch Alabama Clemson on Monday night. You'll have the regular broadcast. You're going to have those two Homer broadcasts with Bama and Clemson radio. You'll have the coaches film room. You're going to have Paul Feinbaum and his guys on the SEC network. There's so many options. And with those options, whichever one that you pick, you could have your living room or your favorite sports bar or your best friend's den, and you can bring anybody and everybody you want, or you can invite them to you without any of you having to shell out all that much money. You can eat your own food or the food that you want. You can go to bed afterwards if you want without you know being stuck in traffic for hours. Everything about it is easier. So you got to make me realize if I don't come to this thing, I am going to regret it. Again, FOMO, fear of missing out. If you're not a Bama or a Clemson fan, and both schools have sold out their allotments, like I said off the top, how do you sell that to the West Coast right now? The answer is you don't. Thus, you got tickets at much lower secondary market prices than expected, despite the fact that you've got the matchup you should want. Number one versus number two, two best teams that we all knew were this good before the season ever started. And there's one more argument here that would help to explain this problem, and that is the fatigue in this particular matchup. Clemson versus Alabama has managed to become Red Sox versus Yankees. That's another regional matchup, but it has national appeal because those franchises have fans everywhere. How many Clemson fans live in Wyoming? or in Arizona, or in South Dakota. Now, not that there aren't local teams in baseball as well, like the Diamondbacks or whatever, but there's a far better chance of a Red Sox or a Yankees fan in those states because those are nationally recognized brands. Jay-Z's wearing Yankees hats. LeBron's wearing Yankees hats. It's a different level. Clemson is not. And Alabama just comes across as a bully for non-Alabama fans. They're Duke. They're the New England Patriots. They're the Golden State Warriors. So I'm not really surprised in the least that this game doesn't have an $1,800 ticket like last year's game did. That was Alabama versus Georgia in Atlanta. All those folks near the venue. Let's talk about like a 400-mile radius in every direction of Mercedes-Benz. They could easily justify that short flight or even the drive to see that game, which was located close enough to both those two schools that if you're on the fence, you could still excuse the money and the shorter travel time to be there. Now you're at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara in a pro sports state well over a 1,000 miles away, and if you're an average fan, there is nothing whatsoever FOMO about Alabama Clemson because you're really not missing out. You're just watching at home, and you're watching at home with all the comforts that come with being able to watch at home, with the money that you save by watching at home, and also with social media around you where you can react immediately with millions of others. You can read experts. You can read media personalities. You can interact with them. What are you really missing out on by not traveling to Santa Clara to see this game? 
the locals in California have no interest in college sports and you're bringing them a Southeast versus Southeast matchup. This makes all the sense in the world. It's still going to be a great football game, though. I don't think it's a FOMO, especially because of the location and because of what technology means today. But we're all going to be watching that game on Monday night. We'll see how the ratings stack up. They dropped a lot. Didn't help that neither one of those two matchups ended up being particularly good on the field last Saturday. But that's why. This ticket's just different, and the location makes all the difference in the world. When we come back, four wild card games, one of the greatest wild card Saturday, Sunday weekends we have ever seen in the NFL. I'll break down all four of those matchups for you. 615 737 1045. You have any thoughts, or you can tweet me at jmartzone. We will roll along next. Big six on a Friday on 1045 The Zone. Welcome back. Happy Friday to you. 2019 in full effect. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Little Kurt Vile for you. Loading zones off a of bottle it in. He'll be at the Ryman in March, which means I'll be at the Ryman in March. Talked about the college football playoff. If you missed any part of this show at any point, subscribe to the podcast. The Big Six with Jason Martin. You can find it via whatever podcast catcher it is that you like. Subscribe. You can get the full archive dating back to this past summer when this show began. You can consume this product however you want, whenever you want, in whatever capacity you want. And, of course, you can go back to it if you'd like to as well. And while you're there, subscribe to all the Fine Zone podcasts as everybody is providing just exceptional content for you right now. Speaking of exceptional content, the wild card round this year is awesome. Two games tomorrow starting around 3 o'clock in the afternoon here, and then, of course, the nightcap, and then 2 on Sunday. There is usually a bad game in this foursome every single year, sometimes an absolutely terrible game. Last year, if you recall, we had that Tyrod Taylor versus Blake Bortles debacle that basically set the sport of football back for about half a century. Two years ago, you may forget, we had Connor Cook replacing Matt McGloin, who replaced Derek Carr as the Raiders faced off with Brock Osweiler and the Houston, Texas. Cook versus Osweiler. And then a couple of years before that, or the year before that, we got Brian Hoyer versus Alex Smith, and the Chiefs won that game 30 to nothing. There is always a bad game on paper that you know is going to be trash before it ever kicks off and almost always is garbage once you actually watch it. But this year, all four games are kind of awesome. Now, we got some bigger franchises with some real interest. We've got some young starting quarterbacks to pay attention to. We got a few ferocious defenses, and we got four games with tight Vegas odds and tight betting lines. That is a recipe for a beauty of a two day stretch of NFL football on paper. Now, what that probably means is that all the games are going to end up being blowout disasters because that's how it generally works. I'm kidding. I'm trying to be more optimistic in 2019. I don't see how with evenly matched and flawed football teams, and that means the ones that aren't playing this week as well. Nobody is a prohibitive favorite in any respect, except maybe New Orleans to get to the Super Bowl because I don't see anybody beating them at home. But I guess you never know. So let's talk. take a look at these games, and we'll start with Colts-Texans, the first game tomorrow in Houston. You got two red-hot teams. 
that overcame awful starts. One and five and oh and three. They win the sixth seed and they win the AFC South. Colts have balance. They've got one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and he's playing great football. Marlon Mack is incredibly underrated, especially behind what I think might be the best offensive front in football. Eric Ebron has life in the league. T.Y. Hilton, of course, is T.Y. Hilton. You got a rookie head coach in Indianapolis and Frank Wright, but he's been really good. Other side, you got Deshaun Watson, total stud. He's been sacked about 11 trillion times this season, still making plays. DeAndre Hopkins and his monstrous hands, which you can, you can look up photos of his hands next to regular hands and see why he can catch everything that's thrown to him. Maybe the best wide out in football right now. Pretty good run game, but they've got a terrible offensive line to go with a good defense. Either team could win here. And even though this is going to be the third matchup between these two this season, I feel like today the one team in the AFC that would worry me most as an opponent is Indianapolis. With Luck playing like this and the lack of pressure that he's facing, they've got the rookie of the year probably at linebacker in Darius Leonard. Even on the road, it's indoors, and the Colts, to me, just have more balance. When you look at these four games, apply this metric to it. Of the four things that matter the most outside of special teams, which can be important, look at the offense and the defense of both teams. Which one is the most glaring problem of the four? And then take the other team. The biggest blemish of these four, even with the Colts not having a ton of weapons in the past game, Dontrell Inman was a good find for them in the middle of the season, and he's been good. Ebron has made plays. Jack Doyle has made plays. T.Y. Hilton is very good. But these are not like the receiver. This is not like Kansas City Chiefs here. They don't have sheer numbers like that. But it's nowhere near as big a red flag as the Texans' offensive line. Watson has to run for his life too often. And these are two quarterbacks that love to try and fit a football where it shouldn't go once or twice a game. Trying to make a play. So turnovers are going to be key here as well. So I'm going to take Indianapolis because of Houston's offensive line. I think that's going to be the difference in the football game and that Indy is going to win on the road in Houston. And nobody wants to play Frank Reich's team right now. Nightcap tomorrow, Seahawks-Cowboys. Dallas at home, but they are the worst of these two teams. Seattle, and I'm going to toss out that lackluster effort against the Cardinals on Sunday. They are rolling. Russell Wilson's not being talked about nearly enough, even though he's being talked about an awful lot. Seahawks' O-line is somehow stellar. Their run game, just like Baltimore's, really tough to deal with, and coaches have not figured out yet how to stop Chris Carson and his ilk. Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin, stud wideouts finally getting more of their due. And then you got Pete Carroll. Considering all the talent that left and where most people had them predicted, the way that franchise seemed to be regressing over the past couple of years, he's a candidate for coach of the year. Maybe should win it. Probably doing the best job he's ever done in the NFL. And then you look at Dallas. Jason Garrett's not good. Dak Prescott's average. Zeke can be contained. We saw Tennessee do it ourselves. Amari Cooper, after his torrid start, he's cooled off right alongside Scott Linehan's offense. In the past month, in his past three games, here are the numbers for Amari Cooper. Five catches for 31 yards against the Giants, four for 20 against the Bucks, four for 32 against the Colts. That math is 13 grabs for 83 yards and no touchdowns in that three-game span. 
And it's not that Amari Cooper all of a sudden's forgotten how to play football. It's that the Cowboys' offense is rudimentary. It's outdated. And Dak Prescott's inconsistent and not particularly accurate. Then you take a look at the other side. You look at Russell Wilson, who might be the very definition of the word winner in the NFL. And I think Seattle not only has the far better quarterback, but they got the better football team and the far better coach. And they're going to win this game on the road. Both road teams are going to win on Saturday. The Colts in Houston and the Seahawks in Dallas. So that's the first two games. And then you get the ones that I think are a little bit tougher to call on Sunday. Chargers-Ravens is fascinating. We just saw this game two weeks ago. The Chargers have so much talent, but they're the Chargers. The Ravens have been winning games they shouldn't be winning in the playoffs for two decades, and the Chargers have been losing games they have no business losing in the playoffs for decades. It was a close game a couple of weeks ago. I'm ready to see it again. It was another example of how a talented Chargers team has a tendency to let you down in the biggest moment. Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame talent that has never reached a Super Bowl and has felt his biggest heartbreak in the playoffs. They got real balance. Like I said, stud running back in Melvin Gordon, a good offensive line, great quarterback in Rivers, certainly. Terrific targets. Keenan Allen, the two Williamses, Antonio Gates at 75 years old is still making plays at tight end. Defensively, you got another rookie of the year candidate, Derwin James. He can basically do anything you want for him to do on the field. Joey Bosa, his pass rushing ability, his ability to disrupt plays. That's just a few guys on their defense. They may be the most balanced team in the AFC. I think they probably are. If you had to pick based on no other knowledge than talent and numbers, you might well pick L.A. to go to the Super Bowl. And then on the other side, you've got Baltimore, who shut the Titans out at Nissan 21-0. John Harbaugh has built that team around a really good defense. Dean Pease, news came out he's going to be back for the Titans this coming year. He's not going to retire. That's great news for the Titans. He did a fantastic job this season for this franchise. But he left Baltimore. He comes here, and the Ravens are somehow better with Wink Martindale as their defensive coordinator. History says the NFL will eventually figure Lamar Jackson out. Eventually. But even if that's what happens, it's probably not going to happen this year. That said, the Ravens are not scoring a whole lot of points, and the defense is scoring some of the few they are scoring. In the last five games, Ravens, 26-16, a 27-24 loss to Kansas City, and then three more wins, 20-12, 22-10, and 26-24. None of those in the 30s. They scored in the 30s a few times early in the season, and that's about it. What that means is the defense has to be this good. It means the margin for error is not very big for the Baltimore Ravens because they're winning in ways almost no one else in the league is. I'm still tempted to take them because the Chargers are the Chargers. But I also think L.A. is really talented, and they got to look at this team a few weeks ago. They saw Lamar Jackson a couple of weeks ago. They've seen the run game that Baltimore has been putting out there. Rivers is due for a big game in this spot. So I'm going with the Chargers because I think they're the better team even though Baltimore frightens me to death, and I would not at all be surprised if I'm wrong about this. So if you're scoring at home, I've got all three road teams winning. 
and there's still a fourth game. Will I make it four for four? When we come back, I'll predict Philadelphia, Chicago, and then it's time to talk about the Oakland Raiders because it's been a couple of weeks. We'll be right back. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. The big six here on 104.5 The Zone. Well, not a surf. Killian's red for you coming back. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. Ryan Mudd, my producer, doing a great job. 615-737-1045 if you want to join me. 737-1045. Or you can tweet me at jmartzone. So I picked three road teams of the four, and I'm about to pick the fourth game. Went with the Colts. Think they're a very balanced team. And if you're looking at the worst unit of the four key units in that game, it's the Texans' offense because of their offensive line. As much as I like Watson, as much as I like Hopkins, that offensive line worries me. Seahawks, Cowboys, Seahawks, just a better team. Don't trust that coach in Dallas. Don't trust that quarterback in Dallas. L.A. and Baltimore, that's a tougher call, but the Chargers got to look at Lamar Jackson a couple of weeks ago, so this is their second crack. It's like the second crack against a pitcher after you finally gotten used to his movements and some of his stuff. So maybe they have a better look. They also have a pretty good defense in L.A. Baltimore doesn't score a whole lot of points. And the Chargers are just, they have so much talent. Eventually, they have to put it together, right? And then there's Philadelphia at Chicago. Nick Foles versus Mitchell Trubisky. If I had said that two years ago, we would be talking about that wild card dog game that I referred to at the start of the last segment. Guys, we've seen Ryan Lindley in a playoff game. We've seen TJ Yates in a playoff game. We've seen Osweiler. We've seen Connor Cook. We've seen Blake Bortles in way too many playoff games. Nick Foles versus Mitch Trubisky. But it's not a dog game at all. It's a fascinating football game because it's the one where we're going to find out if defense indeed still wins in January. Trubisky, quietly, has played really well lately. He had three interceptions in that game against the Rams, that weird 15-6 to Sunday night game. And since that point, he hasn't thrown a pick. His lowest completion percentage since that Rams game, which was four games ago, is 69.2. Other than that, he's been in the 70% range. He can run the ball. We knew that. His QBR has risen into the 80s as the season ended. They've got a great running game with Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard. They've got a really exciting young coach in Matt Nagy. And then they got Vic Fangio and this defense. Particularly impressive defense. Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson as the ball hawk, Danny Trevathan out there crushing guys, Roquan Smith learning. He's getting better. The Bears are fun to watch in a much different way. Even though at times it looks like throwback, Matt Nagy still throws enough wrinkles into that offense to where it looks so much more modern than, for example, Dallas's offense. And then on the other side, Philly's defense has been better lately. Their pass defense was abysmal early in the year. Some of these young guys are starting to play better football. But it's, it's still woeful problems, at least defensively for the Eagles at times. But where they struggle is against the pass. And even though I said Trubisky has improved, he hasn't hit 250 passing yards since he went over 350 on November the 11th against Detroit. So can he take advantage of the Eagles' weakness? That really becomes the question. 
Playoff Foles is the only thing better than playoff Rondo in the world. If that magic is real again, the offense looks an awful lot better right now. This game's being played at Soldier Field, which I think helps Chicago out tremendously. Even with Philadelphia playing much better now than they were under Carson Wentz, which is not Wentz's fault. I think Chicago's actually going to be the lone home team that wins this weekend. And they're going to advance. Because I believe their defense is going to score points in this game. And I believe that Mitch Trubisky, who hasn't thrown an interception in about a month, is going to be careful. He's going to run for first downs when he has to. And then you add the explosiveness of Tariq Cohen and the seemingly wise beyond his years intelligence of Matt Nagy and the way Vic Fangio has called this defense. I think Chicago at home is going to be a little bit too much for Philadelphia. I still think I would have rather played Minnesota if I was the Bears. So I might have laid down and let Minnesota win that game last week. Because the Eagles with Nick Foles do scare me, even if he's banged up a little bit. If he plays, this team does play cohesive football around Nick Foles. So good, in fact, that someone in the offseason is going to overpay for this guy and turn him into a starting quarterback, and then we're going to realize why he was really a backup. He is a decent football player. You shouldn't be afraid of him, but playoff Foles frightens you enough, I would say. So that'll be the lone home team that I'm predicting to win that being the Bears. So I've got Colts over Texans. I got Seahawks over the boys. I've got Chargers over the Ravens, even though I don't feel great about that pick. And then I've got Bears over Eagles. Good news is all four of these games are going to be played in front of us, two tomorrow, two on Sunday. They're they're all four going to be great football games. We will be discussing them on 104.5 The Zone on Monday. You can hear those games here on 104.5 The Zone all weekend long as well. So those are eight teams playing football that matters this weekend. One team that is playing football that does not matter at all is the Oakland Raiders. They're not playing football right now, but they didn't play football that mattered this past season anyway. The question that I have for you tonight is whether or not the Oakland Raiders are still a football team or if they've just become a reality show. Because... Their head coach is most known as of late for being what? A television personality. And their new general manager is known most for being what? Oh, a television personality. What is happening here, folks? John Gruden and now Mike Mayock, who have both done more in NFL draft coverage than football for the last decade, are the brain trust of the 2019 Oakland Raiders who currently have no home. Moving into this season, Khalil Mack, who's now playing with the Bears, who you will see in a prime spot on Sunday afternoon. Khalil Mack is gone. Mike Mayock, who was famous for his NFL Network draft board, had Khalil Mack number one on his draft board. He's no longer there, largely thanks to John Gruden. Mayock really liked Derek Carr. Not so sure that John Gruden likes Derek Carr. Mike Mayock liked Amari Cooper. He's also not in an Oakland Raiders uniform anymore. And then, of course, because he's done so much coverage, you can find some mistakes that he's made, none bigger than declaring that Blaine Gabbert would be a much better pick than Cam Newton. We saw Blaine on Sunday. 
Blaine Gabbard is not better than Cam Newton. Even if you hate Cam Newton's guts and don't think he's very good, you still think he's better than Blaine Gabbard. Both of these guys were very good on television as analysts. Mayock was really good on color. I'd been pretty vocal since day one. I could not stand John Gruden in the Monday Night Football booth because he invented something that I termed bubblegum commentary. He said glowing things about everybody in the league, was so excited about all of it, and was virtually never critical when he needed to be. And it was almost like he had a rooting interest in every single player, and he had a personal relationship with every single family and every single player. That's not what I need in an analyst. It's not what I want in an analyst. You can be positive. That's great. But you have to be objective. He was not. And what came out of his mouth was not remotely believable. Now, if he was saying glowing things about Tom Brady, okay, I buy into that. But when you're saying things about being dazzled by Andy Dalton and Ryan Tannehill, I'm losing a little bit of respect for your credibility. And the reason it wasn't believable when John Gruden said this is because it was indeed a lie. And we know this now. John Gruden always wanted to get back into coaching. Not in Knoxville, Vols fans. That was never going to happen. And you should thank your lucky stars that it didn't. He wanted to be back in the NFL. And to make that easier... He wanted to ensure every bridge that he crossed lacked any instance of kerosene. No burning, no potential embers, nothing. He wanted everybody he could to like him in the league and remember nice things he said about them and their organization because ultimately that would make him someone, the fragile egos of power. Most of the people that are the most powerful in this world also have the most fragile egos if you've ever stopped them and had them put on that polygraph. He he knew that if he was nice to them, said nice things about them, they would want him around. He couldn't say anything real because he still desperately wanted to be in that league. So basically, he was strawberry shortcake calling football games. He was terrific on that quarterback camp stuff. Because in that case, he was actually showing people how much he knew. It was always about John Gruden, no matter whether he was in the booth trying to get that job or trying to show his acumen during the quarterback camp stuff. He wanted to show people that watched that just how much he knew and how good a judge of talent he was before any of that talent was in the NFL. So that quarterback camp, which was great television that I loved every year, And his analysis on Monday Night Football that I didn't was 100% about John Gruden first, second, and third. Guess what? So are the Oakland Raiders. More on Gruden, more on Mayock, and the best in pop culture from 2018 next as we roll along. The Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. segment of tonight's Big Six. Thanks for making me a part of your evening. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. My name is Jason Martin. 
615-737-1045 if you want to rant. 737-1045, or you can tweet me at jmartzone. Talking about the Raiders and whether or not they're still a football franchise or if they've become a reality show because their head coach is most known as of late for being a TV star and so is their general manager, their new GM, Mike Mayock. And I talked about how the quarterback camp for Gruden I really liked. His, his analyst work in the booth for Monday Night Football I really didn't. Mike Mayock was very good in what he was able to do, but John Gruden was all about John Gruden. And I think we've come to know that now, but I feel like if we've been honest, we've known that for a long time. The quarterback camp was about John Gruden showing how smart he was. Him in the booth was about John Gruden proving to other franchises that he wasn't going to say anything negative or remotely controversial about any of them because he might end up wanting to work for them again because he desperately wanted to be back in the league. So it was always about Gruden, whatever it was he was doing. And now the Raiders are all about John Gruden. A few years ago, the Raiders look like they are on the cusp of contention for the Super Bowl every single year before Derek Carr's injury. They had a good running game. Latavius Murray and those guys were moving the ball, had a really good young offensive line, good defensive line, talented receivers. And now the Oakland Raiders are, let's see, what's the clinical term for this? Not very good. There are all sorts of questions about Carr. He did play pretty well in the home stretch of the season. Mack and Cooper are in Chicago and Dallas. Cooper may not be in Dallas long term, but he's going to be somewhere else. The team is moving to Vegas. They're not there yet. Currently, they aren't sure where they're going to play this coming season. And they're also one of five teams that the NFL could mandate must be a part of hard knocks. Imagine the Raiders with John Gruden and Mike Mayock on hard knocks. Be great TV for us, but it would just be more FaceTime for Gruden and more celebrity for John Gruden, and it would do nothing good, I don't think, for the Raiders as a football team. But if you recall, when I had Dave McGinnis on just to talk to him about his time being on hard knocks, he was on hard knocks and he was on all or nothing as a part of the Rams. And... You know, he he made it clear that NFL Films is working with you. They want to present everything in a positive light, so they're not in your way. It's a joyful experience to be a part of. So that sort of changed my opinion about it. But the Raiders are the last place, I think, that, that even needs the distraction. They don't need that to be on the front page. Whatever Gruden does, doesn't do what he says, doesn't say. He said a lot of really boneheaded things. Obviously, it's up to your opinion. But to me, he said a lot of very boneheaded things this season, especially early in the season in regards to Khalil Mack. So Mark Davis has, has handed John Gruden a 10-year contract, which no way on earth is that dude still there in a decade. And he's basically handed over the keys to the Raiders' castle to an incredibly overrated coach who's known for his offense, whose Super Bowl win in Tampa Bay came after he took an already loaded Tony Dungy roster that was in the playoffs the year before he got there. And his offensive numbers, if you look at pro football reference or any of the places, myriad of places you can look up all these statistics, usually ranked in the teens and in the upper 20s. John Gruden's not exactly Sean McVay, despite what the hype machine would tell you. So you got Gruden, and then whoever was going to get that GM job the first qualification, I would imagine, wasn't football knowledge. 
It's about being affable to John Gruden. It's about being subservient to John Gruden. It's about being John Gruden's yes man. I don't know if Mike Mayock is a yes man or not, but TV to TV, Gruden's still the personality. Mayock, interestingly enough, like I said, he was good on TV and draft coverage. Now, the NFL Network, where he was most of the time, is filled with guys I do not really care for on TV. Mike's stuff was usually always really good. I thought he was really good on color also for NBC when he was doing Notre Dame games. He was good on Westwood One Radio, which you hear on, here on 104.5 The Zone when he was in the booth. Now he's a GM. He has spent a ton of time looking at college film and evaluating young talent. But does that mean that you would want Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay as your general manager? I'm not so sure about that. You know, I always thought that Mike Mayock probably had a long NFL career. I had never looked it up before. His career happened when I was like three years old. I was totally wrong. He was the 265th pick in the 10th round in 1981 out of Boston College. He was on the Steelers practice squad as a rookie. Never saw the field, cut, played for the Toronto Argonauts that year of the CFL. Then he played for the New York Giants for one year, and that is his entire pro football career. His entire NFL slash CFL slash NFL career was two years in length. And his executive experience, he has precisely five days of it. The GM of the Oakland Raiders. This gig that he was just hired to. So when you think of Gruden, who I call the most overrated person in all of sports today, and then you've got Mike Mayock, who is as big a question mark as you can possibly find, because he didn't play for very long. He was on TV a lot, and he was good on TV. But you don't know anything about him. He's never worked in a front office in an NFL team. And if you think Gruden's as overrated as I do, it just seems like the Raiders are more reality show than NFL franchise right now. There's a whole lot of style there, and maybe it's all going to coalesce, and I will be an idiot, and we'll play this audio back in a couple of years while I laugh and say, boy, was I wrong about that as the Raiders are hoisting the Lombardi Trophy and Mike Mayock and John Gruden are embracing on some stage after some CEO handed them the trophy and very awkwardly tried to congratulate them. There's a ton of style right now. But that substance, that is to be determined at best. Gruden and Mayock, the brain trust of an NFL franchise in 2019. One with no track record, one with a spotty overrated track record who's all about himself. With most of the good talent out the door. They've got a good draft coming up, so maybe Mike Mayock's draft board proves really valuable because they've got some real picks coming up in this draft. But they better fire on them because that division's not getting easier. Chargers are right there. Chiefs are going to be around for a long time. I'm a Broncos fan, but I'm a realist as well. we got a ways to go. So I mentioned on 3HL earlier that you know, I did a pop culture podcast for a couple of years elsewhere that changed when my job changed. And it looks like conversations started to be had about reviving that and bringing it back under the zone umbrella, doing some pop culture podcasts again. Of course, I've been writing and I've been a, a television and film critic now for about five years, blessed to, to uh, be a part of that industry and to have carved out some level of respect. God has blessed me 
mightily in every respect of my life. But I've had a bunch of people tweeting me over the past few weeks. Usually I do a top 10 in movies, a top 10 in drama, a top 10 in comedy, like long form articles at the end of each year. And I didn't do one this year. But I thought that maybe today I would give you a top five in three different categories. Things that if you haven't seen, I think you should. And maybe I'm going to classify them in a different way than you're used to. And I will start with music. And music is, is maybe the most subjective of all of it because there is so much of it that comes out every year that you can only hear what you like to begin with. Unless somebody exposes you to something new, you are limited by what you've seen or what you've heard. Now, that's true in every capacity, but generally, most people have seen the brunt of the best of television and they don't miss the best of film. Music's a totally different animal. And everyone's ear is so radically different that it makes it difficult. So I am not just limited by what I've heard. I am a prisoner to the music that I gravitate to. So if you're a big hip-hop fan, I used to be a big hip-hop fan. I can't get down with the language anymore. So I didn't hear much of that stuff because I just can't let that into my eardrums anymore. I don't just don't feel it's conducive to me. But I will say that Kendrick Lamar's Black Panther deal was good. That soundtrack was really, really good. And then there's other things like Casey Musgraves Golden Hour is unanimously regarded as one of the best albums of the year. It's not really my style. And then you've got various other things that are out there. But the five that really stood out to me, and I also want to mention Courtney Barnett. She put out Tell Me How You Really Feel early in the summer. The Decemberists put out a new album, I'll Be Your Girl, that had feelings of the old Decemberists and the new Decemberists. And then Jason Isbell put out Live from the Ryman. And if Jason Isbell puts out anything, and I was at one of the shows where this was being taped last year. If Jason Isbell puts out something, I'm going to mention it. But the top five of the year, Jeff Tweedy, Wilco's lead singer, put out a solo album, his second solo album. He put out Sukurai a couple of years ago. I think actually not just a couple of years ago, back in 2014 now. It's been a while. New album came out just a few weeks ago. It's called Warm. It's not like uplifting music that you can dance to, but it's great atmospheric music that shows a lot of lyrical depth. So that's something to keep in mind. Kurt Vile's bottling in. We already played one of the tracks from that coming back earlier. I love anything Kurt does. Trampled by Turtles is kind of half bluegrass, half Americana. Life is Good on the Open Road they put out earlier this year. Very, very good album. John Prine, the legend, put out The Tree of Forgiveness early in 2018. Tremendous record. And my favorite album of the year was God's Favorite Customer by Father John Misty. That is not a Christian album, by the way, but it's a tremendously good uh, album from start to finish different than some of the stuff he's done before maybe more approachable if you have found yourself wondering whether or not he's for you but worth trying out television shows and this is where I, my bread and butter is more so than anything i've written more about tv than anything over the last five years it's what most people ask me about there were over 500 scripted series this year i didn't see all of them you can talk about your ozarks and you can talk about many different shows that were very good the top five and I, I, I rank this in terms of what I enjoyed watching the most, what I gained the most out of. So maybe they're not the top five when you look at it from quality, but in terms of pure entertainment. The center second season on USA was tremendous. The first season's available on Netflix. Season two should be there pretty soon. Carrie Coon was in it. It was tremendous. Uh, it, it's absolutely worth seeing. I'll give you a tie, even though I don't think this is number four. Good Place is my favorite show on TV. It still is, even though this has not been its best season. It's about to come back for the back half of the year. Atlanta would be tied with it. 
Succession, which is Adam McKay's show on HBO, would be three. Better Call Saul, which just gets better and better, is number two. And the Americans' final season was perfect television. And it's the best show. Uh, one of the best shows of the decade. One of the most overlooked shows of the decade. So you go with that. And then movies. I've talked about these on the air before. A Quiet Place. Mission Impossible Fallout's the best action film of the decade. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a surprise of the year, along with Game Night, which is a great comedy. Vice will make you mad, but it's exquisite. And A Star is Born should win Best Picture. It is, it is worth seeing on every possible level. So we found a way to run out of time, so I had to kind of run through those. That's a good reason why we're going to have a pop culture podcast coming up. So be on the lookout for that. Subscribe to the Big Six with Jason Martin podcast as well. We are sending you to Kevin Ingram and Blue Ribbon Basketball. I will be back with you on Monday. Enjoy all the games, and we'll get you set for college football on Monday.